0: If Washington wants to get right with voters, it has to start listening to them. Welcome to Beyond the Bubble. It's spring break, and I'm Kristen Roberts, Washington editor for the 30 news organizations all around America that together make McClatchy. Every week, we call the senior correspondents who live and work in political battleground states and ask them to open their notebooks for you to tell you about how voters are reacting to Donald Trump, the GOP Congress, and the actions coming out of this Capitol that affect your lives. But not this week. We were going to take our own little spring break, mostly because my kids are and I got to get out of town. But how could we leave you hanging when some really interesting politics are at play in the states? So this week, something special. Political correspondent Alex Rorty is joining me to interview a Republican operative in Georgia, where a special election that should have been an easy GOP win is suddenly a nail biter. Is this the Trump referendum Washington has been babbling about, or is this a locally driven race? Let's get started.
1: January 20th, the day the
2: people became the rulers of this nation again.
0: Our ideals and fundamental values are being attacked. Do we retreat or do we fight? I say we fight.
2: He heard those voices that were out there that other people weren't hearing, and he just earned a mandate.
0: It is time for Democrats to grow a backbone and get out there and fight.
2: The American people would like to try something new. We would like to see the country go in a different direction
1: to change the course for America. He doesn't take this presidency seriously enough. So to all Americans, hear these words. You will never
0: be ignored again. Alex, welcome back.
1: Thanks, Kristen, for having me on.
0: So you know that after our last show, we actually got emails about how good you were. Really? I'm not kidding. That was the subject line of an email I got. It said, more Alex.
1: (laughs) Okay. I agree. I'll take that. More Alex. I'll, I'll take that. Okay.
0: Tell us about our guest, Chip Lake.
1: Well, Chip is a longtime Republican operative in Georgia, so long that he actually helped work on Tom Price's first race for this seat. Tom Price, of course, is the the whole reason we have the special election in the first place. He was nominated to be President Trump's Health and Human Services Secretary and was, of course, later confirmed. And that's why we have this seat that has become uh, seen as this first real federal bellwether of uh, politics in the the Trump administration.
0: Now, very quickly, set the scene for the listener. What is happening in Georgia 6 right now?
1: It is an 18 candidate race. But right now, there's really only one who matters. It's a Democrat named John Ossoff. He is 30 years old. He might have just turned 31, actually. And he has become something of a, a liberal icon in only a few short months.
2: Washington right now is at its most divisive most dangerous most potentially destructive place in modern american history this is our first chance to make a statement about who we are and what we stand for and we can do it with positivity we can do it by talking about courage and humility and kindness and decency
1: he has raised as much as eight million dollars in two months just to give you some perspective there are senate candidates from big states who in two years almost don't raise that much money and he is seen as the the face of the resistance he is the face of the anti-trump backlash or at least democrats hope so he has to hit 50 percent of the vote tuesday to basically be named the the winner if he doesn't he and whichever republican finishes in second will advance to a runoff to take place in june
0: all right let's talk to chip Hi, Chip. Thanks for agreeing to do this.
2: You bet. Thanks, Kristen. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm really excited to get your perspective here. So let's just jump right in here. You know, we're taking a look at this election coming off of the Kansas election. And, you know, oftentimes what we find is that the narrative in Washington about some of these races, especially these special elections, is quite different from the narrative on the ground. So let me just ask you, is Georgia 6 a Trump referendum or is it a locally driven election?
2: Well, it it certainly looks like with the amount of money that John Ossoff has been able to raise, at least the donors on the Democratic side very much believe this is a Washington referendum, a Trump referendum. Uh, The Republicans, conversely, are doing the best that they can to localize this race. And I guess we'll see on Tuesday, you know, which one prevails. I mean, any type of federal election, no matter where it is, always has a national component this one has a national component on steroids. You know, you have 19 people on the ballot, unlike Kansas, where there were just three candidates. Anything can happen. I mean, Republicans at this point in time are really hoping and uh, that we can get into a runoff and a one-on-one race with John Ossoff. I think we probably can, but the fact that that's what we're hoping for with respect to best case scenario on Tuesday, I think speaks volumes to two things. Number one, how energized the Democratic base is, and number two, how hard it's going to be in any part of the country, not just in suburban Atlanta or not just in the 6th Congressional District of Georgia, but how hard it is going to be for Republicans to localize elections in the era of Donald Trump.
1: Let's take a step back just for a quick second. How surprising is it that we're sitting here talking seriously about John Ossoff actually winning even before a runoff. I mean, you and I first talked about this race in, in early February, and I'm pretty sure that the conversation wasn't about that at, at that point.
2: Yeah, no, it's, a, it's one of the more surprising things I've seen in uh, 25 years of campaigns and elections. It ranks right up there with Donald Trump becoming president of the United States. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, I can't pretend to know... I don't know that anybody can really pretend to know, you know, what voter opinion is from day to day from a national perspective. Certainly we have polls that help us, you know, get that information. But, you know, I feel like I know the 6th District of Georgia pretty well. I live just outside it. I used to live in it, and they had redistricting, and I was out. I mean, the, the Metrolin area has certainly grown uh, very quickly over the last 10 years, and so these lines are changing. But, you know, this is still a Republican district. And even if John Ossoff wins, it'll still be a Republican district. It'll just be a Republican district that a Democrat holds probably for uh, maybe a year and a half, maybe three and a half years. I find it very hard to believe if Ossoff would be successful that he can make it past the 2020 election. But, you know, uh, that's light years away from now. You know, Kansas 4 was a, a plus R plus 16 district. This was an R-plus-10 district, but i tell you where the districts were different is Donald Trump won the Kansas 4th Congressional District by 27 points. This was essentially a 50-50 race. Uh, Donald Trump won this seat, but it was within a point, even though the political performance of the districts you know, looked to be only five or six points away. And so we'll know a little bit more on Tuesday if John Ossoff can win outright. I, I still think that's a long shot, but two months ago, I would have given him a 5% chance of victory. And today, I think it's 50-50.
0: Chip, you opened up here by saying that Republicans down in Georgia were trying to make this an election driven by local issues. What are some of those issues that voters in Georgia 6 care about? What what are the things that are going to drive them to the polls?
2: Well, that's a good question. It's a really good question. I mean, uh, as somebody who is not affiliated with any of their particular campaigns. They have never, in this race, either been given an opportunity to talk about localizing the election. Um, it's not a critical statement. I mean, what John Ossoff has been able to do is very newsworthy. But when I say localize the race, I mean, you know, send somebody to Washington, D.C. that represents what the district represents and represents what the district wants from a philosophical perspective and, you know, less and less people around the country are identifying with any particular political party. And, you know, I was asked a question yesterday, you know, what does it mean to be a Donald Trump Republican? Well, I don't know the answer to that question in today's day and age. I feel pretty good that I could have answered that question during the campaign. But let's be honest, this president hasn't been very consistent on policy since he's taken over. And so in the age of Trump, we don't have a lot to base anything historically on. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, much like polls are a snapshot in time, special elections are as well. Voters are changing their minds a lot more quickly in today's environment. They, they seem to have less patience today than any time in American history. And that's why the, you know, the whole country's kind of got their eyes on what's going to happen.
0: That's fascinating. You know, we certainly know what's animating and energizing the Democratic voter. And it's this, you know, resistance to Trump effort, right? But what you're saying here is nobody can really define what it is to be a Republican in Donald Trump's party. And what kind of effect is that having on Republican voters in Georgia? Does that, are they motivated to go to the polls or is there a real gap in that enthusiasm that we sometimes talk about around election season?
2: Well, there's a big gap in enthusiasm. That's clear. And I think that's to be expected uh, under any change in administration. I mean, our party was very motivated the first three to six months of the Obama administration so motivated that that was the really the beginning of what would later become the Tea Party movement. I think there's very there's similar energy going on on the Democratic side. I, I don't know that they're going to be branded like the Tea Party was branded. But you know the one concerning thing for Republicans is we have check writers in our party and then we have grassroots activists. And very rarely are the grassroots activists ever asked to write checks. And very rarely are the check writers ever asked to be grassroots activists. Mm-hmm. Historically, in the past, you know, something similar has existed on the Democratic side. But the fundraising alone for John Ossoff is something that I've never seen before in politics. I can't even think of a race that comes close. I mean, think about it for a second. He's probably raised over $10 million today. The last report had him at $8.3 million. That's federal money. So that's not $100,000 checks at a time or $25,000 checks at a time. Those was raising money on very strict federal limits. You know, his average contribution is a lot lower than you would think. So my point is the grassroots in the Democratic base is not only motivated to get out and work to try to hold this president accountable, but the writing 25 and $50 checks. And those checks add up over time. They also serve as a barometer, really, on enthusiasm. And that's what really concerns me as a Republican, because let's face it, John Ossoff is not the next generation of America's leaders. He's in the right place in the right time. He deserves credit for taking advantage of being in the right place in the right time. And he's a nice man, a nice young man, from what it appears, but he's certainly not anybody if you would pick him out of a crowd anywhere else other than this environment you know he wouldn't leave you with a very strong impression that that he was going to be the future of the Democratic Party and by the way i don't think he's going to be the future of the Democratic Party which makes this even i think more interesting of a narrative and interesting of a lab because if the democrats can win this seat with this candidate and raise this amount of money for this candidate. You know, we as Republicans got to figure out how we're going to deal
1: with that. Chip, let me let me ask you about one kind of voter in particular. You mentioned earlier how, you know, at the presidential level last year that Hillary and Trump effectively split the district. So that was not the case 4 years ago. Mitt Romney won it easily, I yeah. think by 20 plus points. So I'm interested in that that voter, that Republican voter probably who voted for Romney but then voted for Hillary Clinton four years later. What's your impression of that voter now? Are they voting for Ossoff? Are they on the fence? Are they staying home altogether? On the ground in the district, what are you hearing?
2: Well, look, if you had concerns about Donald Trump in November of last year, I think it's a fair assessment to say you still have concerns about him. What we saw in this district was Donald Trump underperformed with college-educated suburban voters all across this country. Where he overperformed was in less populous counties. The margins that he ran up with people who had not achieved educational attainment of a college degree were historic. And that's what you know allowed him to get the electoral votes that he ended up getting. But this is an upper-middle-class district in suburban Atlanta – It's a sophisticated district. If it's not the district that has the highest level of educational attainment, it's certainly number two. We have 14 congressional districts in Georgia. And look, I mean, Donald Trump didn't hemorrhage amongst that coalition group, but he he underperformed. And if you underperform by 10 points amongst a group of individuals who historically are with you every time, that's pretty substantial. Now, you know, he can make that up in the rural areas, and in Kansas 4, there are some rural areas. There are no rural voters in the 6th Congressional District of Georgia. Then the question becomes, too, in special elections, turnout is almost always exclusive to high-propensity voters, meaning voters that vote in every election or almost every election. And we're starting to see a little bit of data amongst the early voters that maybe one out of every five or three out of every 10 early voters are what we call low propensity voters, people that we wouldn't expect to see voting in this election. I think that's probably an advantage to John Ossoff. You know, that being said, when you look at the results in uh, Kansas, huge discrepancy between the early voter and the Election Day voter. Is the same dynamic going to happen here? I don't know, but it was certainly encouraging to see those results.
0: Chip Blake, thank you so much for joining us. Your insight is going to be very valuable to our listeners.
2: Thanks for having me. I appreciate
1: it.
0: Alex, thank you for being with us again, and thank you for hooking us up with Chip.
1: You're welcome, Kristen, and I hope everyone has a good spring break. And is, uh, for the redheads out there, like myself, uh, use plenty of sunscreen when you're on the beach. <laughs>
0: Thank you to our executive producer, Davin Coburn, and thank you to our listeners. We still want to hear from you, even though it's spring break. So please send your questions and your comments to btb at mcclatchy.com. And also, please go to iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcast app you use and leave us a review. Tell us what you're seeing in your battleground state. And really, I might ask you to call into the show. Talk to you next week.
1: He, he's actually really filler.
0: sensitive about it.
1: I wasn't growing up, and then at some point when it I was, was... the
0: Simpsons thing, right?
1: No, South Park. Oh,
0: that's what it was, was the really South, Park South Park thing. It really, it really hurt.
1: South kick a ginger day.
0: And one night, when you're all sleeping in your
2: room, the gingers are gonna get you. They're gonna get you! It's
1: a sad day for my people.